Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 6. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for the spiritual blessings that Christ has brought us from heaven. Before the world was created, God has Christ had Christ choose us to live with him and to be his holy and innocent and loving people. God was kind and decided that Christ would choose us to be God's own adopted children. God was very kind to us because of the son he dearly loves, and so we should praise God. Our next reading is taken from Colossians, chapter 1, verses 3 to 23. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies uh, in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard, that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Many decades ago now, Martin King uh, spoke these words, lengthy quotation. 
Mammoth productive facilities with computer mines. Cities that engulf the landscape and pierce the clouds. Planes that almost outrace time. These are awesome, but they cannot be spiritually inspiring. Nothing in our glittering technology can raise us to new heights because material growth has been made an end in itself. And in the absence of moral purpose, we ourselves become smaller as our works become bigger. Gargantuan industry and government woven into an intricate computerised mechanism leave the person outside. The sense of participation is lost. The feeling that ordinary individuals influence important decisions vanishes. And we become separated and diminished. When an individual is no longer a true participant, when they no longer feel a sense of responsibility to their society, the content of democracy is emptied. When culture is degraded and vulgarity enthroned. When the social system does not build security but induces peril, inexorably the individual is impelled to pull away from a soulless society. This process produces alienation. Perhaps the most pervasive and insidious development in contemporary society. Fifty plus years on, those words remain true and relevant today. Back before Christmas, one of my girls sent me a link to an article by George Monbiot from The Guardian which talked about how materialism is bad for you. It smashes the happiness and peace of mind of those who succumb to it. It's associated with anxiety, depression and broken relationships. The reason she sent me the article is to say that actually studies have now established that there is a causal link between materialism and a lack of well-being. It's not just that they're associated, materialism causes problems. He cites a study published in Psychological Science which records an experiment in which people were repeatedly exposed to images of luxury goods and to messages that cast them as consumers, such as buy, Status, asset, expensive. The result was that they experienced an immediate increase in material aspiration and anxiety and depression. They became more competitive and more selfish with a reduced sense of social responsibility. This and other studies suggest that the culture of what's called competitive individualism, which has characterised Western society for the past 50 years, has been deeply corrosive of social and personal well-being. And it's no coincidence at all that the rise in materialism has been accompanied by a fall in church attendance. Materialism and Christianity at a deep level are fundamentally incompatible. Given a choice between worshipping either God or mammon, Western society by and large has gone for the second option, which is why we are materially so much better off and emotionally so much worse off. Even so, Paul's description of humanity in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 might seem a bit extreme, alienated, Hostile in mind, characterised by evil deeds. We like to think we're all a bit better than that. But the problem is that as materialism creates alienation, 
That alienation easily leads to feelings of anger and hostility. And feelings of anger and hostility find expression in damaging behaviour. There is a traceable connection of cause and effect. And we're all susceptible to this. If we lead socially integrated lives and we're not driven by an insatiable need to inquire more and more stuff, then we are well adjusted indeed. But if we're not so well placed, if we're not part of an interconnecting set of, of stable, supportive relationships, it's very easy to end up being at odds with ourselves and with everyone else. If themes govern our minds, then we easily end up being full of negativity, not liking other people, not liking ourselves because we don't like other people. I'm unable to change ourselves because this is who we've become. If we are soulless, we are empty and we are in a bad place. And one of the features of of competitive individualism is we kind of measure ourselves in comparison to other people. And it's a horrible feeling, thinking, knowing that other people are, are sitting in judgment on you, rating your value as a person by the clothes that you wear, the car that you drive, the road that you live in, the job that you have. It's all too easy to become deeply insecure, acutely conscious of our own failures and our own inadequacies, both real and imagined. Sometimes we manage to present a bold exterior and we carry off the image of a successful person whose life is together. But in moments of crisis, we can sometimes be terrified of what people would think of us if they really knew what we were like and how we felt and what we thought underneath it all on the inside. Yet God's purpose for each of us, whoever we feel about ourselves, however other people might treat us or what other people think of us, God's purpose for each of us is that one day you should stand in his presence with nothing to be ashamed of. No one pointing the finger at you. Accepted just for who you are. Not judged by how much you have or by what you've done, but standing in a place of complete and utter security. Is that what God really wants? It's what Paul says God wants. That one day we should be presented before him holy, without blemish, and free from accusation. That is God's intention and purpose for us. And the thing about God is there's no need with him to be anxious about what he would think about you if he knew what you were really like, because he knows that already. Everything about you is on his books. Not just the stuff you've actually done, but the thoughts and feelings that identify you at least some of the time as being potentially quite a nasty person on the inside. The problem is, of course, that you are the person you have to live with all the time. And that can be quite tough if you don't actually like yourself. But get this. God does like you. God cares about you. God values you. And whatever stands against you, whatever is is back in the past, God wants to clear your name, cleanse your mind, purify your heart, sort your life out, and make you a decent person 
in here. That's not something we can ever do for ourselves. It's like once we get locked into a certain way of thinking and a pattern of behaviour, there's nothing we can do to change that. But God can. And he's already done everything necessary for that change to take place. Colossians 1, 21-22 has three time phases. It, it looks back to the past. Once you were estranged. You were in a hostile state of mind, doing all kinds of wrong stuff. One day in the future, you will be presented to God as someone who is holy and blameless and free from accusation. It's what God has done that enables us to make that transition from people who are alienated from God to people who are made welcome in his presence. And what has God done? He has reconciled you to himself in Christ's body of flesh through his death. That's the connecting, transforming, changing thing that God has done for you and which is effective here and now. You are reconciled to God because of Jesus. In Jesus, God makes known to you his love for you. His acceptance of you. His forgiveness for what you've done. And he's opened the door for you to be reconciled to him, to have a relationship with him that you never knew or dreamt was possible, so that you can know that by God you are loved. By God you are accepted. By God you are forgiven. And there is no higher authority or more important person than that. The God who loves you and accepts you and forgives you. And in that knowledge you can be secure. Without being afraid of what other people think of you. With a better foundation for who you are as a person than the corrosive acquisition of wealth and material goods. Because when God made you, he did not make you to be a consumer which is the role we're all cast in by today's society. God did not make us to be consumers. God made us to be people capable of forming loving, trusting friendships because they are the source of true fulfilment and if we lose sight of that, we really are in trouble. God made us for a relationship with himself and with others. That's the most important thing and if we get that right, everything else falls into place a bit more. Despite the person that you are on the inside, despite what you've done, despite the fact maybe that you don't even believe in him, God has done everything necessary to turn your life around and change you from being an outsider to someone who belongs to him. And he's done this through Jesus. Through the death of Jesus and his flesh and blood body. How does that work precisely? Frustratingly, Paul doesn't spell it out in unambiguous terms, and thereby he's left plenty of scope for disagreement between Christians down through the centuries about exactly what he meant and how it happens. But if we just take what Paul says here without appealing to models of atonement drawn from other sources, it seems clear that somehow Jesus' physical death has affected a reconciliation between a holy God and people who were alienated hostile in mind and capable of performing really 
evil deeds. How did Jesus' death bring about reconciliation? Well, the cross was the place where God's grace overcame our sinfulness. And one way of looking at it is to say that the violence and hatred and anger directed against Jesus as God's son when he was crucified, that violence, hatred and anger were a direct expression of alienated human nature and the hostility and evil of which we are all capable at our worst. Somehow an encounter with vulnerability has the capacity to bring out something really nasty in people. And when God made himself vulnerable, we treated him in the worst way imaginable. But our rejection of him was answered by his acceptance of us. That's grace. And when Jesus died on the cross, he took into himself all our evil, all our hatred, all our insecurity, our alienation and our rejection. And in their place, he offers us his love, his acceptance, his forgiveness, his divine friendship. That's the deal. That's the gospel. That's what's at the centre of what we believe as a church. And while the church might be a bit out of fashion these days, believe me, the message we proclaim is the key to human contentment and fulfilment. Because you will never find in materialism what you can get through Jesus. Because through Jesus, God has opened the way for us to move from the people we once were, alienated, hostile, capable of evil, to people who are blameless and flawless and holy. That's the hope of the gospel. That's what God provides for all who put their trust in Christ, that Jesus is the one who can turn our lives around and make us better people on the inside if we put our faith in him and hold on to it without wavering, but settled and firm in what we believe. And if we do that, then one day through Jesus, we will be presented to God as his holy, accepted, forgiven, and deeply and profoundly loved people. And it works because that's how God made us. Remember, he didn't make you to be a consumer. He made you to be his beloved child. Centuries ago, long before Martin Luther King, St. Augustine wrote words that still pack a powerful punch of truth today. Speaking to God, he said, you made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Turn to Jesus and let your heart find its resting place in the heart of God. Amen. So let's stand and sing together from Baptist Praise and Worship again. 437, I come with joy to meet my Lord. Forgiven, loved and free.